This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. So glad you're here this morning. Um, just so you know, uh, the notes are in a different version. Than I'm, I use the NLT. So if you're following go, I can't track Andy, then pull out your iPhone, find the NLT, and you'll be able to follow along. Also, a little different than maybe what you're used to if you're used to the whole section of Scripture being read and then taught. I, I like to stop along the way. So we'll be taking breaks as we go through. If you have ADD, it'll be perfect for you. You'll be able to track me fine. If not, you might need more coffee. So, so glad you're here. Uh, when, when I was a kid... There's a show, probably one of the most popular TV shows um, in the history. I don't know of all the actual records and things like that, but I know that the show MASH was a very popular TV show for a long time running. And uh, my parents wouldn't let me watch it when I was a little kid, but as I got older, I was able to start watching some of the reruns and, and started caught up to where it was at. And a great show. And, and you remember in the MASH compound, there was this sign that was... Uh, out in the center of the uh, courtyard area. I don't think it's very accurate because I'm pretty sure it was shot in California. But the sign would have, you know, the arrows, as you see, you know, if you want to go to Coney Island, it's, um, I can't really read because I have glasses on, but a lot of miles to go to Coney Island is that way, San Francisco that way, Tokyo. And so it pointed the direction to these cities, how to get there and how long, um, how far away the city was. And it was a directional sign. And as Christians, as disciples, we're to be uh, directional signs for our world, for our communities, for our neighbors and um, co-workers. Because think of the excitement when you're pointed in the right direction or you realize you're going in the right direction in life, the excitement that it brings. Misha and I, when, when we were um, newly married just a few years in, into our marriage, and then along came um, this thing called the internet, and, and then this thing came where you could type your you know, this is where we're going to go. We're going to leave our house here. We want to go here. How do we get there? And the computer would magically spit out directions from our house to where we were going. And at the time, we were living in southeast Oklahoma. It was part of our wilderness years. And we were going to Dallas, which is a big city. And so we, we printed it out, and we took off on our trip. As we were going, we were following exactly what, it might have been Google or one of those um, internet services, we were following exactly what it said. It said to turn left on this highway. Left was east because we were going south. And it didn't feel right because we knew Dallas was this way. But hey, it's what it said. So we took off down and pretty soon we were out in the middle of nowhere. And I think we pulled up into like Bucky's Bar and Grill. It's one of these places where people ride the mechanical bulls and stuff like that and do the boot scoot boogie line dances, which I don't do any of that. And uh, we pulled in. We're like, this isn't right. And, and it wasn't like you could pull it up on GPS because if that existed, only the military had it. We didn't know. So we're like, how do we get there? And we figured it out quickly. We had to pull out one of those maps that you can unfold but never get it back the right way. And we unfold, we're like, we are way over here. This is where we need to go. So it was exciting when we turned around and we got back on the right interstate and we saw the sign that said Dallas, Fort Worth. We were like, whoo, we're excited. Like many of you, you get excited. Let's see this sign here, right? Thousands upon thousands (laughs) get excited every summer when they see that. How many of you this weekend, you saw that and you got excited? Yes. Amen. I see those hands. So... We get, when we know we're going the right direction, and if you're here, you, you've ended up at the right place, right? 
if you're here on vacation this weekend, you got some time off, you're at the right place, and not to rub it in, but we live here. So when I go on vacations, I love to see that sign because I know I'm going back home. When I lived in southeast Oklahoma and I saw the name Atoka on a sign, I was like, ah, I just really don't want to go back there. I don't, but I have to. That's where my house is at. So now when I see that sign, I'm excited. And so imagine the excitement when, when you know, when you realize I'm heading in the right direction in life. I'm going where I'm supposed to be going, and I'm heading the right direction. Our lives as Christ followers, as Christians, as believers, our lives should be pointing, about pointing people to Jesus Christ. Let me read this um, statistic to you. The study conducted by LifeWay Research found 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith, but 61% have not told another person about how to become a Christian in the previous six months. So if we are here to point others to Jesus, how well are we doing? This morning, if you want to turn to John chapter 1, we're going to look at John the Baptist and some of his disciples and an event that took place in their lives with Jesus Christ. And um, we're going to unpack that as we go and learn some things from John and these early disciples that we can apply in our lives today. John chapter 1, I'm going to start with verse 19. It says, This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. So this was John's testimony. Um, Your testimony is your story of God's evidence in your life, of Christ's work in your life, what he was doing before you came to know Christ, and then the moment you put your faith in Christ, and how he is at work in your life right now, here and now in the present. That's your testimony. And these religious leaders, they're asking John, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Now, there might be some that might have jumped in on that and said, well, yeah, a chance for fame. Yeah, I'm the Messiah. Or I'm a great prophet, or I'm a great leader. But John, he wasn't that way. John always pointed to Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. He said, I'm the voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. John's preparing the way. He's telling people to get ready. He's telling people to repent. He's telling them to get rid of the sin in your life because the Messiah is coming, and you need to be prepared for that. Verse 24, then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. When those who listened to John responded, they would then get baptized in in the water as an example or a testimony, um, an illustration of the change that was happening in their life. Um, It was an outward symbol of what was happening inside of them. And I like this. When you notice John's humility, uh, he said this. He said, slaves... Because their job is to untie their master's sandals. That's what slaves do. He said, I'm not even worthy to do that. Everything John said and everything John did pointed to Jesus. The first point this morning is this. John prepared them 
to accept Christ. Verse 28 says, This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was very clear about Jesus' identity and his mission. Um, Israel had been taught by God to you know, kill the lamb as a sacrifice for their sins and that their sins would be forgiving. So now John is saying, here's the lamb. You've been doing this religious ritual for a long, long time. Here is the lamb of God, talking about Jesus. And interesting that he said, who takes away the sins of the world. And this might have been a shocker to some people listening because before, all along, sacrifices were all about Jewish people being reconciled to God. And now all of a sudden, John's saying, it's beyond just us. It is going to go all the way around the world. And so the godly Jews, they've been waiting for this lamb. And John's announcing, here's the lamb of God. He's right here. And uh, John's focus was on Christ and what Christ was about to do. Verse 30 says, he's the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So he pointed out Jesus' mission, and then he points out Jesus' identity, and that is Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus is God in the flesh. Physically, John was born before Jesus and came along a little before Jesus, but He's talking about the eternal here. His reference isn't to the physical. He's pointing out that Jesus has always been. And uh, he recognizes that Jesus is God in the flesh. So John had prepared them to accept Christ. Now we as disciples, living out our purpose, we should be preparing others to meet Jesus as well. Um, In 1 Corinthians 3, there's a little uh, argument, discussion going on, and Paul's going to set them straight in verse... 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 through 8, um, he says this, After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are, we are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. We have different roles in sharing the gospel um, and sharing the message of Jesus Christ with people. Some of us will be seed planters, making that first initial contact where we share with somebody for the first time about Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to this earth to die for their sins and loves them very much. Some of us, that's it. We make that initial contact, and we never really know what happens after that. Some of us will be seed waterers. We'll have that constant contact, the daily influence, using our lives and our words to continually point people to Jesus Christ. That's our role, our responsibility. We're either planting the seed or watering the seed. Both are our responsibility, and both are important. But it's not up to us to make the seed grow. The verse just said, God produces growth. That should take the pressure off of us. Um, It's not up to us to change someone's heart. And it is discouraging and disappointing if we share our faith and someone doesn't 
say, yeah, I want that. I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ right now. It can be disappointing and discouraging, but we don't know what's going to happen down the road in their life that might draw them into a relationship with God. And while it's discouraging, it's not up to us to change someone's heart. Our responsibility is to simply share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So this morning as we go and talk, I'm going to throw some questions at you to think about. So the first one is this, how clear am I about Jesus, who he is, the Messiah? How clear am I when I tell others about Jesus and his mission? Am I clearly sharing Jesus or am I just inviting people to church? A lot of us are good at inviting people to church, but we've never said to somebody, well, here's the reason why I want you to come with me to church. This is what Jesus did in my life. And we want people to invite others to church. But are we sharing clearly who Jesus is? The next point is this, is John shared his own story. Verse 32 says, Then John testified, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. John testifies. He shares his story. Sharing your story is a huge part of sharing the gospel. If you're in a connection group, this week we were talking about this in our connection groups. You're saying, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He died for my sins so that I can know God and have a relationship with this loving God. This is what happened in my life. It's hard to argue with somebody when when they talk to you about what's happened in their life and their relationship with God. It's hard to do that, to argue with them. So what you can do is simply say, is all I can do is tell you that before my life, before I put my faith in Jesus Christ, my life was, and you fill in the blank. For me, my life was, I was a seven-year-old brat, right? Others might say, my life was a mess. My life had no peace. My life had no joy. Uh, My life, I was just wandering. My life was all about me. You know, you just fill in the blank what your life was like before Jesus Christ. And then you say, since I trusted Jesus as my Savior, this is what God is doing in my life now. And you share, you testify, that's your testimony. So when you do this, you're like John, you share your story question to think about, and as I wrote, wrote this out this last week, um, this question kind of stuck with me, and I was like, this is sad um, in my own mind. When was the last time I shared my story? As a Christ follower, when's the last time you told someone about your life before Christ and what Christ has done in your life since? When was the last time you did that? Next point is John pointed everyone to Jesus. Verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Now, why would these two drop what they were doing, drop following John the Baptist, and then follow Jesus? I don't know if you're like me. I like, my mind is very, uh, I picture things in my mind all the time and imagine what it must have been like. And so sometimes when I think about the early disciples when they were called to follow Christ, how they would just drop everything and turn almost my mind, made it almost look like a robot, yep, and just follow. But there's a reason why these guys were willing to drop what they were doing and follow Jesus Christ. And the reason is they had been hanging out with John the Baptist. They had been listening to John share and teach about the coming Messiah. So they knew what Jesus was all about. And so when John says, there he is, they wanted to follow. 
They wanted to learn from Jesus Christ. And uh, he had been preaching this repentance and baptizing. And, and he was drawing great crowds. And people knew who he was. But with John, it wasn't about John the Baptist. Um, he wasn't a look-at-me personality. Uh, he wasn't in it for personal gain and an influence. When you read about him, right, he dressed funny with the camel hair and he ate locusts, which is something I don't care to do at all, unless maybe it's wrapped in bacon. Um, so, you know, he was different. He wasn't in it for fame and notoriety. That's not why John did what he did. John lost his two faithful disciples, but that didn't pop his bubble because he was all about pointing people to Jesus. Now, I think, doesn't say this in the scripture, like I said, my mind rolls these things around in my head, but I think John was thrilled to see these two guys turn and follow Jesus. Why? Because that was John's purpose. Point people to Jesus. Send people to Jesus. And now the two guys that have been learning from him and following him have turned and now they're doing what John was asking of people to do. And he was accomplishing his purpose. So, question to think about is, do I point people to Jesus with my life? Next point in your notes is this. A disciple will want to stay with Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Jesus looks at these two guys and says, what do you want? Now, it wasn't a rude like, what do you want kind of thing. He was wanting them to express, why why are you following me? He was wanting them to verbalize because, of course, Jesus knew he's God in the flesh, so he knew why they were following. He was wanting them to come out with it. They wanted to find out where he was staying. They wanted to stay with Jesus. Disciples are learners, so they want to be in a position to listen to and watch and learn from the one they're following. So that's where they wanted to be with Jesus. We want to be where we can listen to, watch, and learn from Jesus Christ. And as long as it's fairly easy, more and more people stayed with him. Everywhere Jesus went, people followed him. And, and the crowds grew and, and became larger and larger to multitudes of people would come and listen to him teach and watch him heal. But the closer Jesus got to the cross, the crowds got smaller and smaller and smaller. And disciples fell away from following. When it got tough, they didn't desire to stay with Jesus. Jesus invited them, come and see. Find out what it's like to be a disciple, to follow me and be a follower. When I was a kid, I had a friend named Tim. Um, Tim is still my friend, thanks to the wonderful thing called Facebook. And uh, we keep up with each other. But when we were little kids, Tim and I would, uh, I'd go to Tim's house to play. Because in his backyard, he had the most awesome treehouse. And I'm not talking built together with little scrap pieces of junk leftover lumber. I mean, it was a three-story treehouse with a deck. Ooh, yeah. Some of the men are going, oh, yeah. And so I would go, and I was always excited about going there because we would play in this treehouse. And uh, we would go, and I was most excited when we could spend the night. We would sleep in the treehouse. There was a ladder we could pull up so we were safe, so nobody could get to us. No wild animals in the city of Lynchburg, Virginia could attack us. We would pull the ladder up, 
and sleep in the treehouse, we would play cards. Slapjack. (laughs) Games like that. With our sleeping bags up there with flashlights because there was no electricity. It was roughing it. And it was so rough that running from the kitchen window in their house to the treehouse was a pulley system. And Tim's mom would come out and go, this little window would open snacks, and she'd put stuff in a bucket. And we would take the pulley and, right, and eat the snacks. I would do that today. I'd sleep in that treehouse tonight. I was always excited to go over there. If I could figure out how to get a pulley from my refrigerator to my bed in my bedroom, I'm set. So I was excited to spend the night with Tim in his treehouse, that sleepover. It was awesome. These two disciples are about to have a sleepover with Jesus Christ. Think about it. With the creator of the universe. I don't know where they stayed that night, but in my mind, I imagine them laying on the ground, looking up at the stars. And Jesus going, hey guys, see that one there? That star? I made that. The one next to it? I made that one. The one behind it? I made them all. Could you imagine that? And then, look at the moon. Yes, we see the moon. I spoke it into existence with my words. That would be phenomenal. To be able to hang out with Jesus in that way. But you know what? You and I have an opportunity to stay with Jesus, the creator of the universe, the one who died on the cross for us. So the question I want you to think about is this. Do you want to stay with Jesus? As I thought about this this week, um, you know, it seems to me more lately than in, in recent years that I've seen many believers who aren't wanting to stay with Jesus. And life gets busy, times get hard, and they seem to drift away. And this made me think of the words that I'm going to read to you from Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. He's not trying to bum them out by saying, there are going to be some that fall away, some that are heaped together, some branches that don't produce. He's saying all this to let them know what this final verse I want to read to you says. It says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, that your joy will overflow. So as a disciple, as a Christ follower, if I want joy in my life, I need to stay with Jesus, right? I need to remain with him. And I do that by spending time with him in the word, by reading the Bible, by praying and and setting apart time to spend with him. 
No other relationship, no other event, no busy social calendar, no moving up the corporate ladder um, in my career. Nothing can bring me the joy that comes from remaining with Jesus. A disciple will want to stay with Jesus. This last point in your notes is this. Someone you know is waiting to be found. Verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, and looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, you, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The first thing Andrew did was to go to his brother and tell him about Jesus Christ, about the Messiah. Very first thing he did. I guess when he heard and he realized what was going on, he was so excited, I've got to let my brother know about this. But he went beyond just telling his brother about Jesus. He brought his brother to Jesus. There's this realization here that salvation is too good to keep to yourself. It's too good just to keep to myself. I have to tell others. Yet, for many believers, it's what we do. We keep it to ourselves. We don't share Jesus with those around us. Andrew brought Peter to the right place and the right person. He didn't invite Peter to go to church or some religious ceremony. He simply brought him to Jesus. What does that look like in our lives? We share our story. We invite them to meet Jesus just as John and Andrew did. You might say, I don't know what to say. Um, I'm not sure where to start in inviting someone to meet Jesus. I like Andrew's message to Peter because it's very simple. It was five words. We have found the Messiah. Five simple words. We don't have to know all the answers. We don't have to use the lofty, churchy words that most of us don't understand anyways. The message is this simple. God loves you very, very much. He loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross for your sins because I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. And he did that so we can have a relationship with God the Father and experience life on earth following Christ and then when life on earth is over, spending eternity with him in heaven. It's that simple. What do you want to do after you hear that? I just shared with you what Jesus does and what he's done in my life. How about you? It's that simple, simple message like Andrew shared. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. It says Jesus found Philip. This wasn't a stumble into by happen chance meeting. Jesus went to seek out Philip. Jesus set the example and then Philip followed the example because then Philip went to look for Nathanael and he told him about Jesus, Jesus, the Messiah. Disciples tell others. Have you ever noticed that more often than not, new converts will tell people because they're excited. I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. God's working in their life and they're excited about it and they'll tell others they're excited about Jesus Christ and what he's done in their life and they'll tell others about their newfound joy. Some of us old, long-time Christ followers, we need some of that. 
we need to let some of that rub off on us. Get that excitement back that we had to tell others about what God is doing in our life. But you know what? Um, as we close, I, I love uh, what John said in John chapter 2, verse 30. He says this, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. My purpose and your purpose as disciples must be the same as John's, and that is to point everyone to Jesus. And to accomplish that mission, we need to have this same attitude that John had. John realized it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Life needs to be less about me and more about Jesus Christ. So how do I know if that's true in my life, that that's a true thing, that life's more about Jesus than myself? Well, I I would look at my wallet, I'd look at my checkbook, um, I'd look at my calendar, I'd look at my social media posts, and some of you are my friends in the Facebook world, and you're like, man, Andy, you love food. It's true. But I'm hoping somewhere along the way you're seeing things that point to Jesus. Look at your life. Are there things pointing to Jesus? The words you say, the things you do. Does your life point to Jesus? Because we all have someone we need to point to Jesus Christ. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.